Okay. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Tanya chapter 29. Okay. This chapter, I'm going to preface this with a little like this chapter is not as practical as the other chapters that we're learning, and you'll see why. Um, it, I, it always has value and, um, it's definitely not like my favorite chapter, but, um, it did, it does have a lot of good value. So, um, we are learning the Tanya. So, and our, like my passion is to make the Tanya practical and in our lives. And I think we still will be able to do that today, but there's also value in learning the Tanya. Like we're not going to skip things just because they're not maybe as relevant to today or um, more difficult to digest. So we got this. If there's any questions um, that you have, that's what we're here for. We're going to just, we're going to see how this, where this goes. Okay. So last week we did a really extensive review on chapters one through 27 right? And last week we did 28. So we're not going to do an extensive, extensive review this time. We are going to kind of jump right in, but I'm going to remind you about the beginning of this section, which is chapter 26. The beginning of this section um, is all about, does anyone remember? We're all, we're, we're troubleshooting. Okay. We're troubleshooting our emotional um, challenges. Why? Because in order to give God our best, in order to serve God with all our might and all our soul in the best possible way, we need to um, feel light and joyous and free, right? And remember, we talked about a long time ago when we did chapter 26 that anything done with joy is better, right? There's nothing in the world that you can tell me that is worse off with happiness, doesn't, it doesn't exist. So if we want to give God our best, we have to serve him with joy or else we're giving him second best. Okay. But life happens, right. And it isn't perfect. And there are challenges that we come across in our lives. So that's what chapter 26 is here. This is section is here to tell us like till now, if we use the tools, if we, we have like, we have an understanding of what we need to do really Tanya could have ended chapter 25, but that's not the case because we need troubleshooting tools. So chapter 26 started off by, um, talking about what emotional problems can we come across? And it, we divided into two categories. We had the physical, more mundane problems, which falls under the categories of money, health, and um, children, okay? Most problems will fall under those categories. And then we had um, that the second half of 26 talked about spiritual problems, which was guilt, right? What happens when we feel guilty about something that we've done in the past, okay? We're not gonna go into how we solve these problems because we did that and we can, you can review that if you wanna go back and, and listen to the recording. But here in chapter 29, we're gonna talk about what happens when we have the opposite of joy. The opposite of joy is something called Timtum Halev, okay? Timtum Halev is when it's kind of like the arteries of your heart are stuffed and there's a blockage. 
in your heart. So here we're not talking about a physical blockage, we're talking about a spiritual blockage, okay? So what happens when we have a spiritual blockage and this is the opposite, so this is a problem, right? Um, we didn't really address the problem, uh, this specific problem. And what is it, what is the blockage of the heart, a spiritual blockage of the heart manifest as? Apathy, okay? Apathy is, you know, when your kids tell you like, I don't care, I don't care. Like, I feel like that's the most obnoxious thing a kid can tell you. I don't care, right? Because it's, it's worse than anger. It's worse than depression. It's a whole, it's like a dismissiveness of, of everything. And there's no, you're like, you're apathetic. There's no feeling, there's no drive, right? So you're kind of stuck in this rut of like, just no desire to do anything, change, be better, happy. Like, at least if you're like angry or depressed, like you can change negative energy to positive energy, right? If you are feeling negative energy, it's hard. We'd have to do the work, but we could change that to positive energy. You can't change lack of energy to positive energy. There's nothing there to work with, right? So um, the author of it tells us that apathy is the biggest enemy of our life. The worst and most dangerous thing that can happen is apathy. Okay. So we need to fix this. Okay. So this problem is when our energy is blocked, we have a spiritual stuffed artery. And the result of that is this apathetic response to your service of God, to your spirituality, to your enthusiasm to serve right? There's just, just not there. There's no drive. Okay. So, um, here, um, so how do you know if you are suffering from apathy? How do you know? Right. Um, so the time gives us two symptoms of what could be a hint if you are suffering from this problem of apathy. The first one is, um, you you're meditating right you're doing the work remember in the, in like in the teens the chat in the teen chapters we talked about how we want to meditate to create a specific emotion for god we're going to actually go back pretty soon we're going to go back to talking about meditation um in a much 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 greater detail okay but let's say you have a, a general understanding of meditation you're doing the work but you're not creating any of the emotions that are supposed to come out of meditation so it's not that like, oh, I don't feel any love for God. I'm, I'm apathetic. Well, did you actually do the work, right? You have to first make sure that you put in the work in the meditation. You, you, you're doing the groundwork, right? And no emotions are being creative. Not love of God, not of God. You're really just, it's, you're apathetic, right? You're, it's not eliciting any emotions. And that's a red flag, because if you're doing the work and if you're meditating on the specific things that you're supposed to be meditating on, those emotions should be produced. It's a natural like byproduct of meditation is that those emotions will be created. So that's your first hint that you might be in this apathetic rut. OK, what's the second thing is that you have a hard time with sanctifying 
the things that are in the permissible, right? Because remember, we're talking about this person who's on the Bani journey, right? He's working on himself and being a Bani. Remember, the time it goes kind of in order of how the problems will arise. So we're assuming that this person who's struggling with apathy already knows how to conquer his, um, uh, what's it called, um, desires, right? He knows he knows impulse control. He's really having pretty good outside of behaviors, right? He's, he's, he's doing the work, he's, he's, he's there, right? But he doesn't, he's struggling with sanctifying God's name and the things that are permissible. Remember a while ago, we learned like just because something's permissible doesn't mean we should do it. Just because it's okay doesn't mean that we should do it. And I think I gave this example last time, but my husband always says to, uh, to my kids, like they want to do something or whatever. Everybody else is doing it. What's wrong with it? Why can't I? And my husband always says, well, what's right with it? Right? Flip the, flip, flip the perspective. Maybe nothing's wrong with it inherently, but what is right with it, right? So this is kind of like the same concept. We, we've, we've conquered our, how to, how to ma master our impulses if, it's in the, if we know that these are negative things that we're not supposed to do. They're, they're against Hashem, right? But what happens when we want to sanctify Hashem in the things that are permissible, right? Um, and and you're, just, you're not into that, right? You're having a hard time infusing God within the permissible, not just pushing away the negative, but elevating the things that are permissible, but either they're neutral, right? So what are you doing with that, with those neutral um, circumstances and situations? Okay, so those are the two um, kind of hints that, that you might, that might make you think twice and be like, hmm, I might be in this apathy situation, okay? And really it's, if you look at both of those things, they are a sensitivity kind of issue, right? It's a lack of like the more refined sensitivity. So it's not like you're transgressing and you're like out on the town, like doing every single wrong thing that you could possibly imagine. That's way too blatant. That isn't um, a, a subtle thing, right? That's not where the is at, right? We're talking about somebody who's done the previous work and is now struggling with this apathetic, like, okay, I'm good enough. I don't, I don't, I don't have to do any more work. Like I've done the work, I'm good enough. Um, it's fine, so I'm not so good at that, it's fine. It's this complacency, right? In Yiddishkeit and in Torah and in Hasidus, complacency is your enemy. We never just wanna be complacent. We always wanna be moving forward. Um, and it doesn't matter where you're starting on that level. As long as we're moving up, we're good. But complacency is not a thing. We don't, we're not okay with that, okay? So if, um, what's the solution, okay? So let's say, right, all this is hypothetical in this discussion um, because we all can pinpoint for what's our struggle for ourselves. But let's say we, we, we come to realize that we might be having some struggles with um, apathy and complacency, right? So we, we get to this point and we're like, okay, like this might be a problem. What do you do? So the Tanya talks about, tells us the solution through a parable, through a muscle. What's the solution? Um, he he, um, the parable is that if you have a log, okay, a really big log that doesn't catch 
fire. Okay, it's not like you're in the woods, you need to make a fire, you have a big log, it's not catching fire. What's the solution? You splinter it, you have to smash it. You smash it and then once you smash it, you try to light it again and it will light on fire, okay? So I'm sure we're all inferring like what, <laughs> where we're going with this, right? So the, the soul is the log, right? So if we, the soul is having a hard time catching flame for the love of Hashem, what do we have to do? We have to sp splinter the soul. We have to smash the soul, okay? Because timtum haleg, apathy, is very dangerous, okay? So we're not just letting this go and hopefully it'll resolve itself. We have to be proactive. So what are we doing? We are, we have to smash the soul. Now, we don't know what it means yet to smash the soul. We just know that this is what we have to do, okay? Um, and when there... Um, When there's no, when there's this lack of energy, it's that's something that just will compound on itself. We, the reason why we don't just want to let it go is because that will just, it, it's like, it, it will continue the cycle, right? And if you keep on, I don't care, what's the big deal? And then you get sucked deeper into that apathetic rut and then you can't get out of it. So it's really not something that we just want to want to let go. Okay, um, now, it, so we, we know that we have to deal with this in drastic measures, okay? So, hence the, the parable of splintering the log. What does it mean to splinter the log? What does it mean to smash our soul, okay? So before we go into that a little bit deeper, we, I just want to bring you back to understanding the different personalities that we always compare things to, right? So a tzaddik is so one with Hashem that when a tzaddik says, I, his will and wants and desires are directly aligned with God. So there's no separation between a tzaddik's will and Hashem's will. So a tzaddik really doesn't have an ego, right? He's literally like, God is living through the tzaddik and all of Hashem's desires are being expressed through the tzaddik's wants and wills and desires. So when a tzaddik says I, he is actually could be refer, he is referring to his godly soul. That's his I, okay? But that's not, the reason why I'm telling you this is because that's not the case with a benani or an aspiring benani where probably at least that's where I fall in probably most of us fall in, right? When, um, when we say I, what are we referring to, right? We, when we say I, we are talking about our animal soul because yes, yes, deep down at our core, we're, Hash we're Hashem, right? We're a piece of Hashem, but that's a subconscious state, when we say in our conscious day-to-day -day life, when we say I, we, um, we're referring to our godly soul. We're referring to our ego, which is not always directly aligned with God's will, right? So on a conscious level, we are our animal soul, like, like right? The neshama, the godly soul is being put into me. What's me? 
means my body, my godly soul. So us as physical beings, when we say, I, we're talking about our body, let's be real, right? The ton is saying, let's be real here. Like I know deep down we're all our, our, our souls and we're all a piece of Hashem, but in our day-to-day life, that's a subconscious thing. You have to uncover many layers to get there, right? But on a day-to-day life, when, when we're talking about I and who I am and what my wants are, it's our separate ego from Hashem. And that doesn't always align with God, okay? So if this is the case, then my ego is the nefesh Bahamas, is the animal soul, right? That's what our ego is. And on a conscious level, if I want to beat up this animal soul, what are we saying? We have to beat up our, our, our ego, okay? Because here in these, and for this conversation, our ego is one with our animal soul. We're saying we have to smash our animal soul, right? So what does that mean? We have to smash our ego, our separate piece that's not aligned with Hashem's will, okay? Um, so this is the, the sitra achra in the person, right? It's the other that's in the person that we have to smash. Okay, so how, okay, great, mazel tov. We have to smash our animal soul, right? Like, how do we do that? Okay, I'm going to take a pause for a second. Um, any questions till, till now? I just want to give you a chance to like, take a breath. Any questions on Instagram? Any questions on my Zoom people? Um, yeah, I'm, I'm wondering when you say, um, this Timtamalev, this this could be happening simultaneously with um, also struggling with like the negative stuff. You know what I mean? Like it's not just yes. I conquered my bad. Now I'm uh, now I'm now I'm working on Timtamalev. Like it could be happening simultaneously, really. Absolutely, yes. So the question was, can you have Timtamalev? This blockage of this the spiritual blockage of the of the soul and the heart. And to be in line with Hashem, can you, can this be happening at the same time as just regular transgressions and regular things that we're working on? Um, so I want to say yes, it can, but I don't think we can necessarily focus on it until we get to a place where it's a huge focus and everything else is taken care of. Right now, the question that I that that is another question built on that question is: What if we have apathy? Um, before we, let's say before we reach Bani status, we have apathy just for like the regular stuff, right? Like we're apathetic to God in general, like never mind in the permissible and the negative too, which is probably part of your question. And I want to say that apathy takes precedence to all. So if you are feeling apathetic in your relationship with Hashem, whether it's in the permissible or whether it's in the, in the prohibited, that needs to be addressed first because you will not have a relationship with Hashem if you are apathetic. You cannot have a relationship with God if you don't care, right? You can have a relationship with God if you're angry, right? I, I have a great relationship with God in my anger. That's probably where I'm connected to him the most because I yell and I scream and I'm mad and how can you do this? And that, that's a connection to God. That's why we always say energy can be redirected. But if you're struggling with apathy with this, I don't care about my relationship with God. I feel like that takes precedence to all, even if we're not in this level of just in the permissible, even if we're dealing with it in the prohibited. Did that answer your question? Yes, thank you. Okay, 
Perfect. So any, remember, just put in questions as we go along. If I'm just, if I'm losing you, you got to stop me because that's not the point. Okay. So how do we do that, right? Now we know that we have to smash the soul. We understand now what the soul is, the animal soul. We have to smash the animal soul, right? The godly soul is doing its thing, right? We have to smash the animal soul. The animal soul we now know is our ego, which means we're smashing ourselves, right? How do we do that? Okay. Now, um, before answering that, we're gonna talk. We're gonna talk about apathy in, in a little bit deeper concept context for a moment, and which will help us move forward. Okay. So. And I, and I did touch upon this earlier, so I just want to reiterate. The real problem with apathy is that it causes complacency, right? Which is what we said before. We don't want to be complacent in our relationship with God. Okay, Tim Tim Halev is the blockage of the heart. It's like the, the spiritual stuffed arteries of the heart, okay? Um, now, basically what this... Um, complacency what what is what, what does that look like in the messages that we we hear in ourselves when we're complacent right it's not a big deal right it's okay it's not good like so what right we're not responding to our relationship with Hashem that's in trouble with urgency we're just like okay whatever you know like also the uh, the worst another worst word is whatever right like whatever it's, it has a, it, it, it could be used in, it's a good word to have. Like sometimes it's, you need that word, but when you're talking to your kids and they say, whatever, like, mm, not good. Right. So we're basically, we're basically like telling Hashem, whatever, like whatever, you know, like, okay, not a big deal. Like, why are you overreacting? It's not a big deal. Like, I am who I am, right? The other thing that you always hear, like from someone who's not interested in having um, growth in their personality, right? I am who I am, deal with it, right? Like, I don't have to change, this is who I am. So th this is it, right? It's a little bit like we're giving ourselves excuses. Um, I can't help it, exactly, like it's not my fault. I can't help it, it's not in my control, right? This is complacency and co this is where like, like we said at the beginning of the chapter, is that the most dangerous thing for our relationship with Hashem is complacency, okay? Even if you are a person who doesn't practice Hashem's laws and Torah and isn't a practicing Jew, but feels something for Hashem, right? And, and, and works on his relationship with Hashem, that is a hundred times better than someone who does every single thing in the book and doesn't care and says whatever. Okay, this is where we're at. So how do we undermine complacency? How do we get to a place where we undermine this horrible thing that's um, in our way of our relationship with Hashem? Like it is dangerous, okay? So we're going, so this is, this is the way. We need to have an intervention, okay? We all have heard about an intervention, right? So we have to con we have to convince our ego, i.e., the animal soul, 
that you're not okay, right? We have to convince our animals so that we're not okay. We are in crisis and we need to wake up. And the best example of this is an intervention because if we, if we can talk about for a minute what an intervention is in the, in, the, in the world, right? In the practical world that we live in, what is an intervention? Usually an intervention is used when somebody is in crisis, they either are suffering from drug abuse or alcohol abuse or are, or ha are having very unsafe behaviors, right? And they don't see it, right? They're in it, so they don't see it. So the behaviors keep happening and they are unsafe and they're harming themselves and it is dangerous, right? Physically dangerous. So what happens? Many times we, have, we plan an intervention. What is an intervention? It's really a brutal process. What is an intervention? An intervention is when the person who's leading the intervention first takes a couple weeks to do all the research, right? And you ask all the friends and family of this person, what, what have they done? What have, what, what are, what are, give me some examples of their unsafe behavior. Um, and, you know, how are they, how do they not see it? And you dig up all the transgressions of this person, right? You sit them down in a room with all the people that care about them and you start to list to them all the ways that they're not okay, right? Right. This sounds like this is an this is what an intervention is. It's not a fun process. It's not gentle, and it's not. Um, it's maybe saving their life, but it's not something that anybody is an, is an enjoyable thing for anybody. Not the person giving it, and not the person being subjected to it. Right. So you have this intervention, and you have to list all the transgressions until you convince the person that they're not safe and they're not okay, and they agree to get help. Right. So you was story by story by story. And you and you and you you remember when you did this and this was not OK. Remember when you did that and that is not OK. Until they're like, oh, my gosh, I'm really not OK. I need help. Right. That's an intervention. So here we have we need to do the same thing for our soul. OK, so what happens? We need to take accountability and we need to. It's called like, um, oh, gosh, what's it called? The I wrote it down. Um, like, uh, okay, it'll come to me, but it's like an account of all the things that we did wrong. And remember, an intervention for our soul is done by ourselves. We do it to ourselves. Nobody is coming and giving us a soul intervention. That is nobody's place. That does not happen. A soul intervention is done on our own. So we have to be okay enough to look at our past and see what we have done and convince our ego that we're not okay and we need to get help. Okay, so we're doing a spiritual intervention. Isn't that now, kind of like guilt tripping ourselves? Um, I would take out the word guilt because we learned. In I know it's not good. That right. and chapter the second half of chapter twenty six. Remember, guilt is never um, productive. So I don't think this is guilt. I think it's it's um, it's more of like an awakening, like. Oh, oh, I'm really not okay. Not, oh, now I have to feel bad about it, but now I need to do something about it to, to make sure that I'm not continuing to be in this, in this rut. So I would talk, I would consider it more like an awakening of like reality. Realizing. Right? Would it also make sense to say like, it's like returning to the values that you've already set out to live by 
you're just like reminding yes, yourself what yes. those you are got, and how you straight. lost track of who, mm. like why you do the things you do, who you are, what's important to you. You kind of like fell off the deep end and are in this, in this rut that is, I don't care and whatever. Right. So we're just trying, yeah, we're trying to bring us back to what we already know to be true, what we already value, right. Um, what we want to live by, but we got lost. So we're trying to like bring ourselves back. Okay. Now here is where I get to say a major disclaimer. Okay. Tanya is not usually one to have disclaimers, but this actually, this disclaimer comes from the Rebbe. And this is what he says. Um, we actually didn't list all the, like, the steps of the intervention. We will after the disclaimer. But this is what the Rebbe says. We don't do this today. So after all that, right? This is not something that we do today. Why? Because our generation cannot handle that negativity. We're just, we're not there. We have got our, our Jewish nation as a whole have gone, has gone through so much already. We don't need to be broken anymore. Okay. Maybe in the altar of his generation, this was um, okay. It worked. And by the way, even when this was done back then, it was not a common thing. This was not like a thing that you would see left and right. Oh, I'm by giving myself an intervention and I'm giving, I'm beating, I'm smashing my soul, right? Not commonplace. Even when it went, even when it was done, it wasn't commonplace. But today we don't touch this with a 10 foot pole. Okay. Because we are not, um, we don't have a constitution that can handle the brokenness and be able to come out of it. If we break ourselves, we're, we're stuck, okay? So um, why, So, like I said before, why do we learn it? Because this is an important concept to understand. It's important to know what this, what first of all, understanding what apathy is, right? Understanding how dangerous it is for our relationship with Hashem. And then, so instead of breaking our soul to reconnect, we, ha we have to use joy. We have to use positivity. Our generation can only handle positivity. Now, I mean, I think that if any of you who work with teenagers or who are mom of teenagers or, the, or youth, we can see this, right? We are not, our gender, we have to um, be open our eyes to the generation that we live in. Just because something worked a long time ago doesn't mean it works now. And here is the Tanya and the Rebbe telling us this. Different generations need different things. And I just, I love that because that's just hits home for me. And this is where I think why this chapter, the biggest lesson that we can take home from this chapter, besides not being apathetic, is we need to know who we're dealing with. We need to understand what is important for our generation. So this is something that was okay. In the altar of his time, if somebody was suffering from apathy, he would be able to smash his soul and he would be able to come out of it and he would be able to serve God with joy. Such is not the case now. If we smash our soul, we're smashed. Okay. And it's why, not, uh, why, uh, what's the difference? What? What's the, what's the difference between of back then and yeah, are, are we, um, we, every generation that exists in this world our, our Jewish people go through more and more and more heartbreak and suffering. 
So we, so we have gone through enough breakage, right? Like we, we, we've done the breaking. So to go and say, now break your soul because you are apathetic to Hashem. Mazel tov, we're broken already. We need, we need something else. We need positivity. That's one reason. Okay. Um, um, the other reason why we don't do this anymore is that um, we don't do well with um, one second, we're one second. I'm going to find it. Yeah, we don't like it's, it's really either the one. The first thing is that we're broken already. And the second thing is what I said before is that we, we don't do well with bitterness. Right. Our generation cannot handle the bitterness. We just need sweetness. And the closer to Mashiach that we get, we wanna we wanna live in Mashiach times, right? So we wanna bring the sweetness of Mashiach, and we wanna operate that way already. And when Mashiach's times, we're not gonna break ourselves. We're not gonna have to. So being that we're so close to the times of Mashiach, we already are operating that way. We don't operate with negativity and bitterness and brokenness. We operate with sweetness. So everything that I'm telling you now, we have to substitute with joy. But I'm going to go through the process of that intervention because I do think it holds value to understand, first of all, what the Tanya talks about, what was done before, and how we do it differently, okay? So, um, but, so everything that we accomplish through bitterness, we just have to accomplish with joy. We'll talk about that in a minute. Well, what does that actually mean, okay? So, um, what's the first, so this intervention process is a couple-step process, right? What's the first thing that you need to tell yourself when you're, we're back to the intervention that we don't do, okay? So we're talking about the things that we're not gonna, don't do this at home, right? So the first thing we tell ourselves is, I'm worse than a worm. I'm, wor I have, I'm worse than a worm, why? Because even a worm only does Hashem's will. A whatever a worm does, it's because Hashem wants him to do it. He, me, I'm a human being. I rebel against Hashem. I don't listen to him, right? So even a worm behaves better than me. Okay, yeah, the worm doesn't have free choice, but taking that aside for, for the purpose of breaking and making us feel a little humble, right? We say, I'm, I'm worse than a worm, right? I'm worse than a, 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 a gnat. Like, the, I, I don't even, I, a gnat, a mosquito, a, a worm, all follow Hashem's will. Here I am, a, a conscious, developed person, and I can't follow Hashem's will? I, I, I even understand the beauty of Hashem's will, and I, I can't do it? I'm worse than a worm, okay? Um, now, if that doesn't seem to do it, right, we're really in our apathetic rut. We're like, okay, whatever, so I'm worse than a worm. What happens next? We have to dig up the past, right? We didn't do that yet. Right, we have to dig up the past, and we have to um, look at all our transgressions of a personal nature. Right? How do we act in our day-to-day -day life? What am I falling prey to? What are my um, desires and my um, lusts and wills? Like, what am I doing with my time? Right? And that can humble us pretty good. Right? I don't. I don't. I'm glad we don't do this today. Like, leave me out of this, you know? Um, but that is part two of an inter intervention, right? And, but then you're really good at like rationalizing and giving yourself excuses. And like, you don't wanna, you don't wanna be down here. So you're like, well, 
I did tshuva for all those things. I repented for all those transgressions and all those desires and wants that I that I fell prey to. I already took care of that. And, and then the altar says, no, well, you did that in your youth and you did tshuva for your youth. But now that you're older and wiser, your tshuva isn't good enough anymore, right? You're a whole different person. You have a whole different set of desires and wants. You, you're more sophisticated. Now that you're more sophisticated, you need a more sophisticated kind of tshuva. So don't think your tshuva is good enough for right now. It's not. You're just in a different playing field, okay? Now, if we're still not broken enough, God, this we're, this person is stubborn, right? He's still not, he's not convinced. He's not convinced he needs help yet, right? So um, then we go to our dreams and our subconscious. Well, what kind of dreams are you having? Because, you know, dreams are a byproduct of what we dwell on during the day. So even if you're not acting on your desires and your in your um, uh, I'm I'm missing my words, but um, whatever, even though you're not acting on them, if you're thinking about them, it's going to come out in your subconscious when you're sleeping. So what are your dreams about? Let's analyze your dreams and then we can know like where you're really at. Right. Hopefully by then you're like, OK, 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 I need help. Right. So that's the. Um, process of our soul intervention. That is a question, Javi. Yeah. When you said the chuva isn't good enough, is that the chuva that you did on previous trans the previous transgressions is not yeah. good enough um, and so you'll have to do more? Is that the chuva that you had been doing isn't good enough for the things you're doing now? Yeah. Or okay, so I, like, this is a very good question. It's a little tricky and I don't have a full grasp of this concept, which um, I hope to like get there, but it's, it's definitely something that I'm a little not sure about. My understanding of what I read in the Tanya is that your, your, it's your chuva. Like even they were, even though they were your past transgressions, because you are in a different place right now, that's like an, it's an immature, um, it wasn't a good enough antidote to your past troubles. I don't understand why completely, because like if these transgressions happen, then your chuvash matches up with the time you did them, it should work. But I think for the purpose of this soul breaking, it's like, no, no, don't think that was good enough, right? Like you're not there anymore. You're in a different, more sophisticated place. So you're, it's like your amateur attempts at chuva, maybe we're okay then, but they're not okay now. And we're using this as, um, uh, like we're using this to break ourselves. So not, all, you know what I'm saying? It's not how we would operate normally. That's not how we view tshuva on a day-to-day -day basis, right? This is a specific, unique situation. So that was my understanding from what I read. Um, my, my, if you actually like, I was like, hmm, somebody's going to ask this and I'm not going to know the answer. <laughs> no, it's good. I, I learned just as much as you do during these classes. But um, also a piece of it that's like, yeah, when we transgress and then we do chuva it doesn't just erase it like those things are still part of us and that thing that's a really hard reality for us to swallow but maybe in this like soul you know smashing yeah. um that like to remind ourselves like hey you didn't those don't just go away like that's right. still part right. of you and, you, and they, being they remain reminded the of same, that. 
right? And we, there will be a time where we learn more in depth what tshuva is. And there is a, a type of tshuva that totally transforms your transgressions to um, good, good deeds, right? But that's a very specific form of tshuva and that's very hard to do, right? But so if you're just doing regular tshuva, then you're forgiven, right? Like you're not, you're not held accountable, but it still leaves like, you know, when you can't get that oil stain off of your shirt, like it's still there, right? So that, that is a very good point. This is all about breaking ourselves. So we're using whatever tool we can pull out of the hat to make us wake up to the fact that we are in crisis. Okay. So that is, um, the, the, the steps of our intervention. Okay. Um, now here, this is, so this is, this is the interesting point. First of all, reminder, you can only do this for yourself. Don't think you can go and help give someone their soul intervention. Like that's not going to work. We never know what's going on in somebody's heart and soul and all their misdeeds and transgressions. None of our business. Okay. So just, that's another quick reminder, even though we're not really doing this at all in general, but the beautiful thing about this scenario is, is another, and I'll talk about this with another kind of example. If you have like a dirty room that, Anyone who watches my Instagram, like my playroom, like if you have a room that looks like my playroom on Sunday morning, that takes a lot, a lot, a lot of work to put back together, right? You have to clean up, you have to pick things off the floor, you have to put things away. It's a huge amount of effort and it's exhausting. This situation of apathy is not like a dirty room, okay? It's like a dark room. What happens in a dark room? You turn on the light, and all of a sudden your room is light. So this is the situation that we're in, we're not, we're not our soul is not dirty and blemished and needs a ton of work to get where, back to where it needs to go. It's just dark. The second we flip the switch, the second we're awakened to the fact that this is where we're at, it's light again, right? So that's what's so cool about the situation. It's not like we're in this, horrible, dirty, disgusting room. We're just in a dark room that, and darkness can be hard till you find the switch, right? Till you figure out how to light the candle or strike the match. It could take some time, but the second you do so, it's like the problem is solved. The second you realize that, oh, I'm, I'm apathetic to my service of Hashem and I want to work on it and I want to switch on the light. It's half the battle. The second you realize it, it's like, okay, problem solved. So this is what the author wants to like really um, drive home is that we're not talking about a dirty, disgusting room that needs a ton of effort and work. We're talking about a dark room that we just need to switch on the light. Why? Why? Because what we're talking about here isn't like a deep um, foundational problem right? Our foundation is strong. Like we know who we are. We do the right things. We just, we lost our interest a little bit, right? So our foundation is there. The second we open the light, it's a clean, beautiful room. So it's just, you just have to like turn on the light. It's, it's not like we're, 
we're on the right track. It's just a little buried under there. And we need to just open the light and everything's already like, we're already on the right path. We're already on the right stage. And, and it just reminds me of like, you know, half, half the cure is knowing what the disease is. Right. And that's really true for our emotional, um, struggles and our physical struggles. Like if you're feeling ill, even physically, if you want to figure out what it is, we already have half the problem solved. I just had the situation with one of my daughters this week who's who is feeling a lot of anxiety and is getting these like panic attacks. And um, we're like, you know, trying to figure out what's causing them and what's happening. And as soon as we figured it out um, and what the trigger was, all of a sudden the intensity of the panic attacks diminished. We're still having them, but like, because we now know what they are, the fear is taken out of it, the emotional, like, stress is taken out of it. So yes, we still have the issue at hand, but so much of it is already solved because we know and pinpoint what it is. So, so when we're struggling with apathy and when we are um, like in this rut, all we have to do is turn on the light and realize what we're struggling with and half the, half the battle is already there. Okay, so um, the last thing that I want to share with you before the chapter is over. Um, the, uh, well, two things. I, the, the Tanya brings a really cool example of, of like the, the dirty room or the dark room, whatever. It, it brings an example from the Miraglim, the spies. So the spies went to Israel, right? And they had like a, 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 a ton of horrible, nasty things to say about the land, right? because it was out of fear and lack of belief in Hashem. By the way, one of the, one of the favorite things I read about, read in this chapter was fear, because it drove home for me, because this is my life right now. Fear and lack of belief in, is, basic fear is synonymous with lack of belief in Hashem. The only reason we have fear is because we are not believing in God in that moment enough. Right? We still feel like we don't trust him. The only reason we have fear in a situation is because we don't trust God. We don't trust him to do what's right by us. So somebody who has anxiety, which is equal to fear, doesn't believe in God? Um, I would not translate anxiety the same as fear. And I'm not talking about a, a clinical diagnosis. Okay. okay. So always remember when I use fear, depression, and all those words, it's not a, it's a circumstantial situation, not a clinical diagnosis. That's different. And the Tanya does talk about that there. When there's clinical diagnosis, it means that something physically is, is, is different about our brain that needs to be remedied. And that's not necessarily in our control. We need, we need help with that. Right. So not clinically related, but if we're in a circumstantial situation and we have fear and we're worried and we, and it, it's giving us anxiety and we're not able to focus and we're not able to continue on. It's because our trust in Hashem is lacking. So fear equals lack of faith in Hashem. So um, now, so the, 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 the spies went into the land of Israel. They were scared because they didn't believe in Hashem enough. They were like not convinced that this was the best idea to enter the land of Israel. And they came back with all the, um, horrible things I had to say about Israel. And 
this is an example where breaking was breaking the soul was the right thing and it worked because they because the spies could handle it. So what does Moshe Rabbeinu say? He smashes them and he says, "What's wrong with you? Right? Like you are you're making God angry. You're making God angry because your lack of belief and faith in Him. Like what what's up?" And as soon as Moshe Rabbeinu said that, all of a the sudden their fears went away. How? Because they didn't have a fundamental issue. They had a fear issue, right? And as soon as the fear was taken away, as soon as their ego was broken, they were able to go right back to where their source was, which was, of course, this is going to be okay, right? So that's an example of soul-crushing working and, and being appropriate. There were the spies. They were on a very, very high level. There were, we're talking about Moshe Rabbeinu. We're talking about people that can handle that kind of stuff. We, we can't. But that would be an example of uh, our soul being crushed. And that's exactly what needed to happen just to take away, to open our eyes, to flip the switch and be like, oh, what was I thinking? Of course, right? Um, okay, so that's just a great example of what it would look like to have a soul crushing episode that is appropriate, right? Okay, so the last thing that the author wants to point out in this chapter, and I wanna make sure we have enough time for a few questions and our quick meditation, is um, we need to remember that at the end of the day, Sitra Ahra, like the other side, the negative in the world, works for God, right? Nothing exists outside of God. So the negative in the world is working for God. It's, it has a mission in this world, right? It's part of the plan, right? So, um, it's a little easier to overcome negativity when we say, oh, when we pinpoint and say, oh, 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 that, oh, my animal soul, oh, it's just doing its job, right? It's just doing what it's meant to do in this world. And I know what I meant to do, right? My godly soul is meant to overcome that. So we both need to be doing our job. So when we take that like big, like huge um, hold that our negativity has on us sometimes, and we just reframe it by saying um oh it's just doing god's job like it's, it's just doing god's will like i can't hold it i can't hold i can't hold it anything against my ego i don't want to I, I can't i can't be mad at my ego for doing its job i just have to do my job right and i don't know if you remember it's a very extreme example but remember we talked about i think it was in chapter nine i don't remember exactly but we talked about the prostitute and the king's son who remembers that where the king, okay, I'll tell you briefly, the king wanted to test his son to see if he was loyal and ready to serve. And he was like on the right level to take him over. So he sent a prostitute to his son to entice him. Okay, pretty bold king, I would say. But, and the prostitute's mission was to try as best as he could to get the son to transgress. Really deep down, the prostitute did not want to succeed. Right? He wanted, the, he wanted this, the prince to overcome. But her job was to do her best to get him to fail. So this is exactly how the negativity works in the world. Our, our animal soul, our evil inclination, our desires, our, our ego, it has to do Hashem's job and it has to do it well because that's its job. It has to be real. It can't be fake. But deep down, even the, the negativity in this world doesn't want us, it wants it wants to fail and it wants us to succeed because ultimately it's all Hashem. 
Okay. So when we're dealing with our ego and our, and the smashing of our ego and, and pulling us back on track, it's always good to remember where is this actually coming from? What is actually happening here? My ego is doing its job. My animal soul is doing its job. And then it's now my, my godly soul to do its job. Right. And we're all doing God's will. We're all doing the job. So it takes a little bit of that sting away when we're trying to manage and um, counteract all our desires, which are inborn and natural within us. Okay. Um, so just to um, reiterate, what does smashing mean for our generation? It means um, instead of breaking the ego with um, bitterness, it's, it's pumping up the ego with joy and godliness. Oh my goodness, we want to serve God. We, we want to connect to God. We love Hashem. It's bringing the joy into our life in any way. Now, I don't know exactly, like, I don't have any like great examples of that right now, but um, it's, it's basically, it's, it's smashing and exploding our ego with, you know, it's like the only, the, the best thing I can think of is killing, killing it with kindness, right? You know, that expression, like, you know, when someone is really, really angry at you and they're yelling and they're screaming and you just show them love and, and respect and they like, don't know what to do with themselves because like, they want you to scream and yell back and you just took the wind out of their sails because you aren't reacting in the way that is in kind. So that's kind of how I view this, like smashing with joy. It's like, here are the Nefesha Bahamas is. And it's like, it's apathetic and it's getting you stuck in this rut and you turn around and you kill it with kindness and you bring joy and you smash the ego in a way that makes it understand and realize that it's really all God right? And we're really all doing God's will. Um, so then we can light the soul, light the log, right? And it's, and what is, what is the flame? It's a flame of confidence and love and selflessness and humility, right? That's the fire that we want burning inside of us. And that is the end of chapter 29. Whoa, 757. Okay. What we're going to do is and I actually thought like it was a shorter chapter. I'm like, oh, I'm going to have extra time. <laughs> I uh, got too passionate. Okay. What we're going to do is I really want to just do a quick meditation, even 60 seconds, just to ground us a little bit. And then if anyone has any questions afterwards, Instagram, I can see you. So if you have any questions, I can see the comments and you guys on Zoom, um, let me know. Okay. Take a deep breath. In through your nose, out through your mouth. Just ground yourself for a minute. I feel like I was very riled up. So just whew, take the energy down. Focus on your breath. Sometimes when we do like an even count in our inhale and exhale, it helps us kind of stay in rhythm and focus on our breath. So if you want to like inhale three, exhale three, if we want to inhale four, exhale four, just kind of regulates us a little bit and helps us focus on our breath and not be too monkey brain.
Okay. What we talked about in this chapter is if you find yourself emotionally desensitized to Yiddishkeit in general and pr even prayer or whatever is in your wheelhouse, right? You're just apathetic. You might need to have a tough conversation with yourself to deflate your ego. What is, how did we characterize that conversation? It's an intervention, right? And by talking critically to your body and your animal soul, you can break its negative energy field and resensitize yourself, right? The point is to turn on the light, switch on the light. Um, while we have two souls, your, your identity, remember we said our identity in our day-to-day -day life is our animal soul. So if you are harsh on yourself, that energy will automatically be directed to the animal soul, okay? So that's what we basically discussed today. What we need to understand is that in our generation, we don't use bitterness. The rabbi says you stay far away from it. And we do all of those things with joy, humility, um, confidence, and um, fill in whatever other adjective you want to use. Okay. So we need to understand what apathy is why it's so dangerous, how it can really be, apathy is the most dangerous thing for our relationship with Hashem, but we're not using this exact technique. We're not using the technique of an intervention. We are using other techniques to um, smash our soul. Okay, so that's what I want you to kind of go home with, little, you know, wrapped up, neat in a little bow. Um, and now just quickly refocus on your breath, let your brain do whatever it wants. Take a couple deep breaths in and out. Let go of any tension you might be hanging on to. And when you're ready and you feel grounded, you can gently open your eyes. Okay. Um, 801, not bad. Now, anyone has any questions after we kind of sat with our feelings on this chapter? Do we have anything that we're struggling with or want to know? I have a question. Yes. Hi. Hi. This was so great. Thank you so much. Thank um, you for being here. Yeah, I, I, I've been listening, even though I've been off video, just trying to handle bedtime and wrangle that. So sure. <laughs> it's question, a special time. <laughs> yeah. Um, my question is how to counterbalance having what I hear from this about like radical self-accountability how to balance that for those of us. And maybe everyone has part of this to them. I know I have like a strong tendency to this, to be mm -hmm. overly self-accountable, self-critical, right? Yeah. You, that, that could be a word that could be used. Okay. Um, mm -hmm. To be overly self-critical to the point where my tendency is to swing so much in that direction. And I found myself identifying my growth point as being to be gentler with myself around around my relationship with Hashem and around what that looks like in terms of of my own avodas Hashem and yeah. so 
like how, how do you reconcile they, these two things? Right. How could they, they feel very opposing? Okay. So my first, um, initial response is, okay. You know, like you have people who are like worried if they're a good mom. Right. And that automatically puts them in the category of being a good mom because people who are apathetic to whether they're a good mom or not, that's where the trouble is. So you are, you are, what you're describing is that you're constantly um, worried about your relationship with Hashem and you want it to be better. And being critical about your relationship with Hashem is actually going to hinder it because like, that's not allowing you to breathe and grow. Um, But that is the exact opposite of apathy right? You're not apathetic about your relationship with Hashem. You're super concerned about it. So the only time the Alter Rebbe says be critical is when we don't care, right? If you're in a state of, I already care about my relationship with Hashem, right? This is why I end up defaulting to the critical because I care so much about my relationship with Hashem. So this whole thing doesn't even apply to you because that's not, you're not in your apathy, apathetic state. If you were in an apathetic state, you wouldn't care about your relationship at all. And you wouldn't care whether you were critical or not, whatever, it wouldn't matter. So the only time being critical has any value, right? Not guilt, but being critical has any value is when we're apathetic. And even, and even in this chapter, we said, and even then we don't, in this generation, we don't do that because we don't, it doesn't hold any value for us. Bitterness is not going to work. So I don't know if you watched chapter 26, um, if you've seen chapter 26, but if you have a minute, chapter 26 talks, it's exactly about what you're saying, about having this constant critical um, lens on your relationship with Hashem and, and the guilt that comes along with it and why that is our animal soul trying to trap us. And there's no place in that. And there are a time, there's a time and a place to have a cheshbon anafesh, right? To take stock of your day, your life, your week, and to do that in a way that is growth related. But if, there's only specific times for that. You, there's never, like, if that's popping up in your head while you're driving carpool and you're thinking about critical things about your relationship with Hashem, that is your yetzer hara. That's your evil inclination trying to throw you off. It has no, it, it's not okay. So if you have a minute, that is all, that chapter is all about that. But um, just, so just to re- recap, your tendency to be critical about your relationship with Hashem and get stuck in that is the exact opposite problem of apathy. Does that make sense? Yeah, it, it yeah. makes sense. I, I, what the only thing that I'm still trying to figure out and what a beautiful yeah. answer I will be binging chapter 26 after <laughs> yeah. this, okay, um, is I find that it can create the same outcome, which is a swing in the direction of almost burnout that leads mm-hmm. to what looks and mm-hmm. acts and walks and talks like apathy. Right. So what's happening, exactly. So what's happening is that the, you being too critical on yourself can lead to depression or apathy, right? And here we're saying, we're already apathetic, so we need the, the critical to like break that apathy, right? So um, so just so you know, chapter 26 is great, both of them, but the, the thing that talks about this idea is 26 part two, okay? 26 part one is also awesome information, but if, for this exact thing, it's 26 part two. So 
That's why we say being critical of our relationship with Hashem is not okay, because that will lead to depression, that will lead to apathy, and that's your Yitzhahara trying to get you off track on your relationship with Hashem. So being critical, there's no place for that in our trajectory with our relationship with Hashem, unless we don't care and we're apathetic, if we lived in the times of the altar of it. <laughs> now, critical is never, it's never, it's not a tool that we can use properly. Okay, great question. Okay. Um, okay, perfect. Thank you, Barbara, I got your message. Um, Karee, I will let everyone go. We're a little bit over time. If any other questions come up, you know where to find me. I have a lot of different ways you can reach me. Email, Instagram, WhatsApp. Uh, I don't know. There's all these ways you can find me. So please feel free to reach out. Um, um, other than that, we will, let me stop the recording. We will see you here same time next week.